trigger warning to parents of children who believe in Santa Claus. If you are listening to the podcast today with your children in the car, uh, one might want to finish the podcast later as we will be discussing the existence of Santa Claus in depth, as well as his impact on our Christian faith. Uh, thank you. Look forward to you listening to the podcast. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good, so be good, for goodness sake. Hello and welcome to the Theological Family Ministry Podcast, where the we TFM. may start calling it the TFM. And I am hosting today, I'm Ben Palaz, and I am joined by... Anthony Trussoni. The Reverend Anthony Trussoni. <laughs> the good Reverend. Need to add, need to add doctor to that, because the Reverend Dr. Trussoni sounds Not really, really intimidating. You'll have to talk <clears> to my <throat> wife about that one. <laughs> yeah, after a new baby, uh, getting into that work maybe a little bit more than you want to chew off. Although when I got my MDiv, uh, I did ask her to call me Master Tony. It didn't work out too well. <laughs> she had to get up, pick yourself up off the floor. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Wonderful. And what are we doing here? Today we are going to talk about Christmas and how it relates to family ministry. And so we are entering into the Christmas season, so we thought that that would be a very relevant topic of discussion and hopefully helpful for people that are engaged in children and family ministry and for families and those who are raising children at this time. So uh, before we get into that discussion, though, uh, let's do a little refresh of who we are and what we're seeking to do. So Tony, just kind of recap if those people may have not heard the first episode, um, what we're about. If you do, uh, too too bad for you. You missed out. You missed the first episode, and uh, you'll have to uh, be, receive some kind of punishment. We'll send you a fine in the mail if you missed the first podcast. But no, uh, yes, we are a new podcast. This will be our second episode. Uh, and we are dedicated to equipping and helping parents as well as children's ministry leaders uh, in order that we might have a theological focus for family and children's ministry. Really, we're, fo- we're going to talk about all kinds of things and how the Bible and a basic understanding of theology impacts how we relate to kids and how we are to relate to parents as the primary disciples of kids. And again, I'm Pastor Tony uh, Trisoni. I am the family, children, and young adult pastor at Westminster Baptist Church in Westminster, Maryland. And I'm Ben Palaz, uh, pastor for family and children's discipleship at Curtis Baptist Church in Augusta, Georgia, uh, a.k.a. I pass out the animal crackers in children's church. So <clears throat> you'll have to, to listen to the first episode to see the reference to that. Uh, but yeah, that is a, a good description of, of what we want to do in, in these times. And, and this really just came out of our friendship. We've been friends for a long time and, and had lots of conversations that weren't recorded. And so we thought, well, hey, let's let's put the microphone on and uh, hopefully this will be of benefit to some others. Um, well, let's get into this discussion about Christmas. Um, just Tony talking generally about Christmas traditions in the church and uh, in our faith and how those merge. Yeah, for us, I want to talk first personally for us. You know, know a lot of people are very sentimental, traditional people. Uh, Ben, would you say that I'm a very sentimental person? 
Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, about I your meat, maybe, but. <laughs> I, I am passionate about meat. I'm sentimental about getting it wrong, and uh, it's spoiling and things like that. But in all seriousness, <laughs> uh, for us, you know, we're not a big traditions people yet. We haven't set a ton of traditions for our family. I mean, we do some things like. Uh, uh, we read the Christmas story from the Bible and sing hymns about the birth of Jesus every Christmas for ourselves, um, you know, with our own family, with the kids. And I think it's a joy. Our church, we do a Christmas Eve service the Christmas before. And this year, actually, because Christmas falls on a Sunday, we'll be at church uh, for the morning Sunday morning worship service, celebrating the Lord's birth and uh, joining together with other Christians on the Lord's Day. So, you know, we don't have a lot of big things. You know, we your family worship more towards the birth of Jesus and things like that but you know we're not huge Advent people or things like that yeah and, and we're pretty similar in that I mean we uh, gear our, our family times where we're reading scripture and, and talking and praying and things more towards the coming of Christ uh, but things don't change significantly I think we did one of those little Advent calendars one time um, last year we looked at doing something and then we just didn't I'm trying to I can't even remember we did do a great job at actually executing it but um, one of my daughter's favorite account from the Bible is the birth of Jesus and so um, you know she's particularly interested but we we also sing songs that are related to the coming of Christ and it's just a it's not a whole lot different than the rest of the year, but um, hopefully it will stick in my children's mind. And, you know, Christmas isn't uh, a biblically mandated celebration for, for believers, no, is it? not at all. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, in fact, many Christians throughout history have not celebrated Christmas in addition to not celebrating birthdays. What do you think uh, about, I mean, is it something that Christians should focus on? Should we downplay it? Uh, because certainly people around us are thinking about Christmas. Now, they may have a different focus, and but you can't get away from it in, in the culture around us. Oh, that's interesting. I think it's a tough question. To me, I, I feel because I was guided by uh, scripture. I kind of think in some ways it's relevant to Paul when Paul talks about one day is uh, held sacred to one man and, and to one all men all days are equally sacred. And let each man be right in his own eyes. And I think to some degree that's the case for Christmas. Perhaps one could argue it's really good and helpful to embrace in the light of it gives us in our culture today an opportunity to share the good news of Jesus. Uh, and that's always something I think that we can embrace. But, you know, I, I've known Christians that are don't do much for Christmas and to no, no problem with that. I have no issue whatsoever with that. And more power to them if they feel and their conviction to do that. But... You know, I, I do think at the same time, often it's taught as, you know, the central to our faith is Christmas time. And, and I just don't think that that's so, so much required. And, you know, I'm not a very festive person. And so I think within Christianity, there's a range of festivity. <laughs> what did you say? Do you celebrate Festivus, though? <laughs> I don't. I don't have the Festivus poll, unfortunately. <laughs> I had something recently where uh, my wife and I were joking about uh, this might turn into Festivus and that the opening of we've got a lot of lot of problems with you people. <clears throat> but uh, we, ended up, we didn't go there. So, <laughs> While we uh, finish our feats of strength, uh, <laughs> why don't you tell me what your thought on that is? Uh, you know, I'm pretty close to you on that. Um, I I can be kind of contrarian by nature. I mean, 
I don't know, try to go against the grain. I, I don't do funny things with my hair or, you know, wear baddish <laughs> no, clothing. You do not. My hair is receding pretty significantly, so I just trim it down really short. Um, but, you know, sometimes if, if everyone else is going along with something, I'm like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to, you know, go with that. So, um, but we, I mean, we celebrate Christmas and I enjoy the Christmas season yeah. and even the things that aren't specifically connected to Jesus. Um, Peppermint Mocha's. What's that? Peppermint Mocha's. <laughs> don't have too many of those you're gonna hide sugar but they're good yeah. um but you know i um i don't think there's much hope of me having a white christmas where i live now there was, there was a, a chance of it when i lived in kentucky but last year at christmas we had the windows open and we we're wearing shorts so um hopefully it's a little bit cooler this year but um you know i, I do enjoy aspects of it and, and so does my wife uh, but we do try to draw our con- kids attention to jesus but if someone told me they didn't celebrate christmas i think it might be a little shocking at first but i wouldn't say well you're missing the point yeah. of, of christianity i think if you know our focus on christ and his coming uh and particularly what he came for should be throughout the weeks and um so it's not just this one time of the year that we think about that so yeah um so yeah and for me, I've kind of a personal tasting with it, even in that. As one thing that I think has become more and more popular in evangelical cir- circles, and especially sometimes Reformed evangelical circles, is kind of bringing back an emphasis on Advent, uh, doing things mm-hmm. for Advent. And, you know, there's a woman in our church uh, that makes Advent bags for the kids to do family worship with every year and has been doing that for years, and I think it's really cool. But That's for cool. us, yeah, for us, you know, I'm not sure that there's a biblical a biblical place for the advent. I don't think it's right or wrong. Uh, and, you know, to me, it becomes dedicating one-twelfth of your time of family worship to the birth of Jesus when, in all honesty, it's only mentioned two times in the Gospels, two times overtly in the New Testament. And it doesn't seem to be the major emphasis of the New Testament. It's, I think we should have far more of a focus on the cross when we maybe, when with that mentality, sometimes we celebrate Easter one day, you know, a week, and then celebrate the birth of Jesus for a month. And I just think that's a little off. Maybe nothing uh, more than that, but a little different to me. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, you know, there are other other references, you know, Jesus appeared to destroy the works of the devil, that, those kind of things. But he didn't just do that by, by being born. He did it by his cross and his Absolutely. resurrection. So yes. still gets at, at what you're saying. No. Um, oh, go ahead. No, you go ahead. Sorry. I'll cut this part off. <laughs> Okay, so what are your thoughts about Advent devotionals? You mentioned a, a sister in your church who's made bags for families to use, um, but what do you think about those kind of family resources or there any that you have used or that you're aware of that you think are, are worth people looking into? I think that uh, it's really cool, again, the emphasis on family worship. And I think that, uh, I don't remember the title, uh, I had it pulled up, but Marty Machowski, who does some family worship stuff, I think has some excellent resources for family worship during the holidays. Again, I'm not as big on requiring that kind of thing and uh, thing uh, as much. I think largely it's more liturgical than it's really biblical. But I do think that if, you're, if we're going to be doing family worship, and if we use that as an excuse to jumpstart family worship, I think that's really amazing. And I think actually that uh, family worship book is called Prepare Him Room by Marty Machowski. And I think that might be a fantastic resource. If you're the type of person that might want to be particularly festive, more so than I am, and celebrate the holiday season. How about you? Um... You know, I don't know that we've really used, we haven't gone out and purchased any. I think we may have found a few things here and there online. Um, 
but I think if you find something that's good and it connects what Christ came to do in an explicit way and not just focusing on, you know, sweet little baby Jesus, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, kind of Ricky Bobby uh, <laughs> mentality, then I would say use it. Um, and like in my case, I mentioned how my daughters, uh, my oldest daughters, her favorite account in scripture, and this has been the case for a long time, like if we'll crack open a, um, some Bible storybooks that we have, and she's like, can we read the one about Jesus being born? And so, you know, it might be wise of me to try to capitalize Absolutely. on that. But, um, but yeah, I don't have any, you know, a book that we go to every year or, or something like that. Um, you know, but the kids are going to be tuned into Christmas anyway just because of people around them and all other kind of influences. Yeah. So there's not really a way to escape it. So, you know, no, maybe a way not. to capitalize on that and teach them more specifically just that, not just that he was born, but why he came to be born. Um, and so, I mean, that that's kind of where I go with it. Yeah, that's good. You mean that uh, you don't focus on the wise men being there at the birth and the and the cute little stories that are unbiblical like that? <laughs> yeah, you know, um, as as fun as those are, um, we we tend to stay away from that. But um, you know, I don't have any an nativity scene in my front yard. Uh, although we may this year, I think we were able to to find some uh, some pieces like that that, that were free. But um, yeah, nice, yeah. So uh, now well, talk about Santa. Let's talk about Santa. The transition to uh, less uh, overtly Christian part of Christmas. What do you mean? There's there's not a verse about Santa? No. Uh, <laughs> So, Maybe in second hesitations. Right. Maybe some of those apocryphal books. So did you do Santa as a kid? Uh, I did. Uh, and when I was a kid, Santa was a big deal. And uh, by no stretch am I upset. Uh, I don't hate my childhood. I don't regret it because of Santa Claus. <laughs> it was a lot of fun, honestly. Doing Santa as a kid, I, the memories I have of it, was it was a blast. Uh, it was a great family time, and my brother and I would especially enjoy it. We would kind of come together, and we would always make sure that we could find the Santa toys. I never really believed that much, in it, even as a young kid. Uh, so me and my brother would always try to explore the house and find the Santa toys, even to the extent of breaking in one time into our camper and finding that I had gotten a skateboard for Christmas one year from Santa. Santa just left an early deposit. Yeah, I mean, it was uh, to show how much we did that kind of thing uh, as a family. I remember one year my dad built homes for a living, and he he had gone into a house that we were about to move into that he had built, and he had laid tracks uh, from the Easter Bunny, not quite the same, but similar. He had laid tracks on the Easter Bunny and uh, said that the Easter Bunny had the wrong address and it was going to our new house rather than the house we were living in. And atop the steps were all of our Easter gifts. And that I remember that was just such a fun time as a kid. Uh, now, on the other hand, uh, my wife Danielle didn't. Her family uh, did not celebrate Santa. That uh, you know, they didn't shelter them, hold their ears closed whenever they'd hear Santa, but it really was not taught for various reasons that we will get into shortly. Uh, and I don't think she was any worse off for that. So, I mean, they didn't think Santa was mis a misspelled version, like S-A-T-A-N? Mispronounced, probably, but no. <laughs> no, no, they didn't. <laughs> yeah, um, I did Santa as a kid, but it wasn't a big deal, um... I, you know, I figured out at some point, I stayed up late, and I was like, you know, I don't think he's coming tonight, and um, I kind of had my doubts anyway, 
but it, you know, I was my world wasn't wrecked. Now I've heard of some people recently that uh, like friend of a friend um, who found out a little bit older, maybe not, I guess than what I typically think of people coming to realize that Santa is not true, um, and it really had an effect on these people. Um, and so I'm sure there are plenty of other stories out there like that. Um, but I didn't hate my parents or anything like that, and it didn't undermine me uh, listening to what they had to say about Jesus yeah. either. Um, do you think teaching your kids about Santa or just kind of letting the myth go is lying to them? Yeah, that's a good question. First, I do want to say that we do have to keep in mind, of course, that the more we believe in Santa, the more power he has, you know, the more that gives him power of having the Christmas spirit, just like that uh, great Tim Allen movie had. <laughs> it will fuel the sleigh. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It fuels the sleigh. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, that's, I think that's the most common argument for why Christians shouldn't do Santa and uh, spoiler alert where I think we're going to uh, we're going to argue uh, that Christians at least shouldn't wholeheartedly embrace the Santa way that many Christians have uh, but I don't think that uh, presenting untruths like this is appropriate you know I don't think that saying that something is true that's not true in a way that we don't that's beyond what we do like with our kid watching Dora the Explorer I, I think that's seems to me to be violating God's commandment, but uh, the I don't really think that there's evidence that this leads kids to doubt God. I've heard some of these extreme stories, uh, people claim that they denied God when they realized that Santa doesn't exist too, and so God was another myth that their parents were teaching them. I, I think that's a little silly, uh, and it sounds a little far-fetched to me. How about you? Yeah, I think that's kind of pushing it. Um, I've never encountered anyone personally like that. Um, I've heard, like I said, people that it affected deeply, but not that they, you know, went off the rails and, and thought, okay, everything else they told me is a lie too. Um, but I think, you know, I've thought about this and weighed it, but I think essentially, yes, it is lying to them. I mean, it's not a hill that I'm going to die on um, and tell someone that they're, you know... Uh, going to hell if they go along with Santa. I just wouldn't encourage it. Uh, I mean, we've told our kids that he's pretend, and it's you know, it's a. I think we said that it's a fun story people like. Um, but we also said you know you don't don't feel the need to go correct everyone that you know um, about this. And but you know we want our kids to know that we gave them their presents, and so yeah. we're seeing our generosity toward them, and also just that it's not true. You just um, want to get the credit, right? Exactly. <laughs> Make them my loyal subjects. Amen. Uh, <laughs> okay. So, yeah, I mean, I think in the end, though, it is leading them to believe things that aren't true. Um, and, and that's not something I think Christians should do. Um, and so, uh, you know, I, I, I have not heard a convincing reason of why other than, oh, it's fun. And, yeah. oh, that's what people have done for a long time. But, yeah. you know, those really don't hold a lot of water. Yeah, and the fun me. and cute argument, I think, really segues especially to the question we always want to ask with Theological Family Ministry Podcast, you know. We want to analyze how something is teaching our kids theology because everything does teach our kids and us about God. It really deeply relates to who we are and how we understand the universe. And what do you think that uh, Satan, I'm sorry, Santa, <laughs> that was not a Freudian slip, but uh, Santa <laughs> teaches children about God? Well, you know, I think we touched on this in the first episode, not Santa, but the, the idea, um, I think it can kind of teach that moralistic 
therapeutic deism. Yeah. Um, obviously, I, I've never seen anyone sit down and say, all right, kids, this is how this connects. Um, but it can give this impression there's this all-being, or this, this all-powerful, all-knowing being who's watching your moral choices and then going to reward you on that. Better um, watch it, out, better not cry, better not pout. I'm telling you my Santa Claus is coming to town. Yeah, um, it, and it kind of teaches a form of, of prosperity teaching, you know, like Joel Osteen and, <laughs> yeah, that's true. and Paula White, people like that. Um, and so, you know, they, they kind of take the, the what's in Deuteronomy and then just flatten out any kind of nuance and because um, you know in Deuteronomy God does say as, as you come into the land if you keep this covenant Israel in mm-hmm. this particular place you'll receive these blessings yeah. if you don't these curses will come on you but it's not just a you know be good and then you'll be happy and, yeah. and God will save you kind of thing um, and so those prosperity teachers sort of take out of consideration that you know we're under a new covenant and um, so but it, I think it, it just can't give children that idea and and uh, i think that's especially true because you know like it or not santa is a god figure i mean we just have to acknowledge that i mean that it's teaching them a theology of an omnipotent omnibenevolent being and therefore it's reasonable especially for a young kid that's just forming the worldview to impose that uh their understanding how they relate to one omnipotent being to relating to the true omnipotent being that's really true. I mean, and for a lot of kids, Santa holds a large sway in their mind because, let's face it, they want those Christmas presents at the end of the year. Of course. And, and also, I think too, he's he's omnibenevolent. He's he's wants, he's always you know giving gifts and these kind of things. But the downside's really not that bad. You may get a lump of coal or you know deer poop in your stocking. <laughs> um, but he's not going to judge you eternally, and so it can sort of downplay God's holiness. Um, and even then, you know, the contrast to the true God, Santa Santa compels obedience largely based on shame, doesn't he? And he's kind of creepy, too, in that. He's, he sees you when he's sleeping, he knows when you're awake. That Santa's yep. staring at you, and you got to watch out, because Santa's going to keep an eye on that. He's taking notes. When he, That's right. That's yeah, and also just the motive, and be good for goodness' sake. Exactly. Um, not you know, I mean, and you get in that with biblical motives, but um, we don't just do good and obey the Lord because it's good. I mean, it conforms to His character, it brings pleasure to Him, it shows His goodness to other people. And I mean, you could really go deep with that, but um, be good for goodness' sake is, is I think, not enough. Yeah. Have you <clears throat> ever seen the? Uh... YouTube video from Glenn Scribner or Scribner, I don't even know how to pronounce his name. Uh, he has a uh, kind of a word of mouth poetry thing. Uh, it's called Anti Santi Rant, Anti Santi Ranty. Have you ever seen that? I never have. No, I haven't heard it's of it. Interesting. You should look up Anti Santi Ranty. I think he really captures some of the problems with it. Describes Santa in that. Uh, and the myth of Santa as as describing God like uh, a weird moralistic dispenser of stuff, and <laughs> and you know if and I think that the idea of Santa and the values that we teach through it is going to lead a lot of kids to think that God is a weird moralistic dispenser of stuff. And yeah, that's dangerous. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, he's really there. It's just the great idol giver. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and there's no forgiveness to Santa, is there? I mean, even though we deny uh, the truth of children's sinfulness, there's no forgiveness. It's just coal or it's uh, gifts based on goodness and badness. And there's always next year. So Exactly. That's true. You know, on one that, uh, what do you think about Elf on the Shelf? That's one that particularly bothers me. That's one, you know, I'm really not terribly familiar with. I know it's been really popular. Um, we have not done it, and I haven't really had a lot of conversations with people who just loved it, but I know that it was wildly popular. Yeah, and Elf on the Shelf, for those who don't know, it's basically this toy elf uh, that you teach children is an actual elf from Santa sent to watch you and report to Santa about uh, how you've been so that it can impact your Christmas gift. Now, of course, it doesn't actually impact your Christmas gift. Uh, it's really like an angel. Yeah, exactly. And it works, and he kind of sits there. It kind of plays like a Toy Story type mode, where if you look at it, uh, if you look at it, it doesn't do anything. But when you're looking away, it's active and I think maybe taking notes and things like that uh, and children are taught to even believe that this is real legitimate stuff and they move that elf on the shelf they move it around the house the kids don't know where it is and it's kind of a fun game but at the same time it's teaching kids that this thing is actually watching them <laughs> and, and some kids are terrified to it and honestly if I believed it, it would find it particularly terrifying not just to mention the fact that it produces a moralism to kids not any kind of understanding of grace or gospel yeah, it sounds like it was just, it was invented by parents who really wanted to just make sure their kids were t you know doing what they said to do and uh, you know can't watch them all the time. And the funny uh, thing is, even like non Christians would not think that's an effective way to produce obedience. <laughs> non Christian experts. Yeah, I mean it's. Um, I think you know you can get a little bit of, of uh, fruit out of it um, if you did it right around Christmas, but you know. <laughs> Um, obviously, if you're honest about human nature, you know, for, the kids going to be like, oh, whatever. <laughs> yeah, you know? but, the, uh, why, uh, what does the Santa myth teach children about human nature? We've talked about how it teaches them about who God is, but what do you think it talks about the human's nature? Um, I think at best it teaches that we're neutral morally, um, that we're maybe even a blank slate kind of thing, and we, could, we can be good or we can be bad. Um, and also... Well, we talked about the motive, but, uh, you know, being good for goodness sake. But I think it, it, it just does not give a, an accurate portrayal of human nature in that we are deeply corrupted. And not that we're as sinful as we could possibly could be, um, but that we're thoroughly corrupted with sin. Our thinking, our feeling, um, all of us, and, you know, that we're not even capable of, of pleasing God on our own. Um, that even on our best day, Absolutely. our our best motives can be kind of sin can be seeping through there. Um, scripture says that our, our, uh, even our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. And that's not just dirty shop rags. I mean, it's, you know, to be pretty earthy, it's like soiled minstrel rags. And, that's and so, um, that's, that's a far cry from, yeah. from, you know, the, the sort of Santa view. Absolutely. It is. Yeah. And you know, I think maybe in some ways the Santa myth, could produce some benefit if we just gave all of our kids coal to be, and we're actually accurate with it. Because, you know, if we were, <laughs> if we taught this, if you're good, you get the presents and your bad get coal. 
I mean, it would be simple. Everyone would get coal if we actually were telling the truth, right? It'd be a lot cheaper. I mean, <laughs> it is yeah. a lot cheaper, exactly. But nobody gets coal. So basically, on Christmas, we're telling kids that they're fundamentally good. They're fundamentally, basically good uh, when we give them the uh, them the present rather from Santa Claus rather than giving them the coal, aren't we? Yeah, we are. And I mean, I, some of the kids that you think, man, that kid really needs some coal. Those are the ones getting like the nicest gifts. And, oh, you know, I deserve it trying too. Trying to bribe them, uh, you know, give them like more expensive stuff than uh, <laughs> you know, one present's like more than I spent on all of Christmas. Um, so yeah, it's it's very it can be very deceiving. And you know, I don't know that kids would piece all of that together, at least not explicitly in their yeah. mind. But then some of those pieces might be moving around. Absolutely. And, uh, and give them a distorted view of reality. It certainly frames worldview, I think. And you know, mm -hmm. and they they do. It's reinforced. Johnny, you've been good. That you worked hard to be good this year. Therefore, you get the Christmas present. And little Johnny thinks, yeah, I've always been good. Every year I get these Christmas presents. And and uh, then a little Johnny might grow up to be a uh, big John and die and tell uh, tell God, well, you know, I was always good enough to get those Christmas presents. You should let me in, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean. If I remember correctly, when I was a kid and I still believed in Santa Claus, I, I do remember looking at the Christmas tree close to Christmas time and reflecting on the year and thinking, you know, I, I was pretty good this year. I mean, I Absolutely. had some, some notable slip-ups here and there, but yeah. I was pretty good. So, And it's, it's not this theoretical, especially for young children that believe the myth. It fundamentally makes them believe, if they believe the myth, that they've been good that they've been good enough, that they've measured on some standard that we've given of what's good and what's bad, they've measured in the positive column. <laughs> and that's just not biblical, as you've mentioned before, you know. No man seeks God, no, not one. Mm -hmm. That's dangerous. Yeah, and, and it's not that we want to teach kids, like, you're a dirtbag. Um, <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, you know, in, a, in one sense, we are all dirtbags, but... You know, that's not the way to present it. Yeah. Um, it's just teaching. I, mean, I was reading um, reading this book on the history of a revival in America recently, and uh, this pastor's wife, her last recorded words were, and I think, uh, the, uh, what's his name? The guy that wrote Amazing Grace also said this, John Newton. Uh, but I am a great sinner, and he is a great savior. And so just emphasizing that. I mean, you don't have to be brutal with the kids, but helping them just see themselves yeah. for who they are. Um, but they got, God's grace is greater than even their sin. And so, um, so that, you know, I don't want people to get the wrong impression that we're just, um, you know, saying mean and awful things to children. And we, we want to encourage people to do the same thing. But just giving them an tell them what the Bible says. It's not a flattering picture of human fallen humanity. Yeah. Amen. That's great. Uh, that being said, I do hope that Santa gives you a, a canister or maybe even a giant can of Rogaine this year. <laughs> hey, bring it on, Santa. You know, I'm going to grow that hair long and get a man bun. Sounds good. <laughs> yeah, do the hipster thing with me. That's right. You know, get some skinny jeans. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. Okay. Well, this, thanks for listening. This has been the second episode, special Christmas edition of the Theological Family Ministry Podcast. And we hope that you tune in for more information and encouragement on how to make disciples at home.